Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for coming and to being with us here at the Rock Community Church. It is such a privilege for us to have you here, and we're just thankful that you can end, uh, uh, hopefully enjoy this this morning with us. Starting this coming Friday, September the 21st, we will have what we, uh, what we call here at the church Third Fridays. Um, we will have a time where we gather together as a church family. You can come. Uh, it's for all ages. It's whether you're single or married, whether you're young or older, isn't, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, I encourage every single one of you to, to uh, join us on a, a very wonderful, fun evening of dinner. Really, uh, the food we've had here every third Friday has been just outstanding. And then fellowship. Um, we will have child care available. Uh, you can bring the whole family. Uh, but they tell me space is limited. So please sign up today for dinner and child care. There, if you need more information, it's in your bulletin. And you can find out. Um, teaching this particular Friday will be Kay, my wife, and I. And we'll be teaching on who comes first. And we're looking forward to doing that. Just past uh, Friday, uh, if I'm in a, a better mood than most, uh, it was our 34th wedding anniversary, and we had the time of our lives. And what made us say, oh, thanks. I didn't say it for that. I didn't expect that. But I, what was really made it wonderful is our daughter and, and son-in-law came in from Colorado with our two grandkids, with uh, Taylor and, Ty and Honor. And, man, was it fun because they were playing with uh, also my, our sons and and his, uh, his wife, our daughter, um, their, their little boy and their daughter. And it was just, it was amazing. The place was like a zoo, and it was just perfect. I couldn't ask for any more. And they were celebrating, the boys were celebrating their third birthday. And so they had this wonderful cake, K-Makes. It's just full of frosting. It's so good. Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate frosting. You know, it's really tasty. You'd love it. And, and Hunter was digging in with his finger, you know, before we put the candles on and all, and everybody was trying to stop him except for me. I said, let's have some. So I was digging in with him, you know. So it would, if it would have been John Mark when he was about that age, I said, Johnny, don't, 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 don't spoil your, your supper. You can have plenty afterwards. But no, as a grandparent, I said, let's eat it now. <laughs> well, who knows? We might not get supper. And we were just having a ball, and they were running around the house, and it was just what it was every grandparent's delight. You know, spoil the kids rotten. Let the let the parents take care of the rest. You know, it was it was just <laughs> it was really really a great time. And so I am in I am ecstatic. They're leaving back for Colorado today. My my uh, daughter and son and their two kids and uh, but we had a wonderful time with them and and I uh, I just uh, I'm just beside myself. But here we are in the book of Acts. We're in the twentieth chapter, and I have. Um, I've, I, I'm, I tried to reason with the other two services why I kind of call every time we're in a book or in a place in the book the best. It, and this one is. This, this is incredibly wonderful to me. And, I, and I, I know that that becomes a little bit overstated, you know, because, I mean, come on, everything can't be the best. But I think I've, I've reasoned in my mind and in my heart why I say this. And it's because when we study the Bible as we study the Bible, when we go through it in this orderly fashion, it just builds upon itself. Everything kind of makes a, a, a little more out of the Word of God, and it builds and builds and builds, and it just is wonderful. And we've come to the place where, where Paul is going to teach us through the elders and the people in Ephesus. He's going to teach us 
what our church ought to be like. What really makes a church what a church ought to be. Because remember, if you remember back on the 19th chapter, the 21st verse, Paul said when he had finished doing what he had been doing, whatever it was that he was through with, chapter 19, verse 21, he said he reasoned in his spirit it was time for him to go to Jerusalem. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but that's basically what it says. So he had reasoned he is going to leave Ephesus. And as we saw last week in chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, he encouraged the believers there in Ephesus. He, he just exhorted them. Reason being was he knew that shortly they were going to be on their own. And he wasn't going to be there to kind of be the buffer between the persecution that would come towards the church. He knew that they were going to go through a time of trials. He knew that there was going to be suffering. And you should know, and we all should know, that within our faith, no matter how much faith we have, there will be times where we will go through trials. We will go through suffering. It's part of the faith. It's part of life. And so to teach a message and not to allow you and me to know that we will go through from time to time difficulties would be unfair. It'd be unfair to you. It'd be unfair to all of us. We need to know that these are things that we're going to go through so that when we do go through them, we don't have to say, well, what's wrong with me? Am I not living my faith correctly? No, it's, it's a common thread that happens to all of us. And so Paul is pre-warning these people that they're going to go through difficult times. And he's not going to be there to be their buffer, so to speak. And what he does then is outline to them, but really to us, what should our church look like? What's going to keep us solid, rock solid in our foundation of the of the body of Christ. With that in mind, I want you to read with me from verse 13 of chapter 20 to verse 32. Now, we will not in this one week cover all of this. The reason I'm reading all of this is that it is necessary to, to, to kind of glance at and understand what is taking place. It would be unfair to the Bible, it would be unfair to you, it would be unfair to our Lord to try to teach this section of Scripture in one swoop. And so we will do it in sections. How many? I'm not sure. Um, I'll leave that to the Lord. Uh, But we will touch on it today. And what we will touch on today is probably the most of the importance of it all. And so let me read with you from verse 13 to verse 32. And then we'll try to bring some sense of what Paul is saying to these dear people, um, these elders who came from Ephesus, the church that Paul helped plant. Verse 13. We, let me just stop you once for a second. Just just this. Uh, as I said to you last week, now Luke has joined the group again. And so you're going to see a lot of we and us. That's Luke including himself in the group with Paul and the others that are um, on this missionary journey. He says, But we, going ahead to the ship, set sail for Assos, attending from there to take Paul on board. For thus he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. When he met us at Assos, we 
took him on board and came to uh, Mytilene, I think you pronounce it. And sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite uh, Chaios. Here I go. I'm starting to... I was doing it fine, the other two services, but all of a sudden, Chaios. And on the next day, we crossed over to Samos. And on the day following, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia. He was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching to you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. In verse 28, he warns them, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Verse 30, And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says in verse 31, Be on the alert, remembering that night and day, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Verse 32, as we close this reading, And now, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What I want to do with you this morning, if it's okay. okay. We're going to start at verse 32. The reason being, it is absolutely essential that you and I understand that verse. Verse 32 is the very essence of what we have been trying to teach here at this church. It's the very essence of how to build a church and what to build a church upon. Now what we're going to see here is that Paul doesn't have any particular techniques that he is passing along to the the believers in Ephesus. No, he is passing along to them one character trait and that is faithfulness. We're going to see he is going to be faithful. He's going to show them that they are to be faithful to three areas in their lives. 
I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. You're to be faithful to the Lord. You're to be faithful to the people that God brings your way. And you're to be faithful to the Word of God. And what he is going to teach in this essence is that the Word of God is of all importance. So with that in mind, we'll look at verse 32 in a moment. Let's pray first. Father, please, would you give us the greatest privilege that we could ever imagine? And we ask, Father, knowing that you desire to teach us. We ask, Father, that you would open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law, the words that we have just read. What we want, Father God, more than perhaps anything else here at this church is that that we see your face, that we kind of catch a glimpse of you. Uh, I guess seeing your face is not theologically correct, Lord. What we want to see, though, is the very essence of who you are, not the speaker, not a, a religious belief, but the very person of who you are. And you teach us clearly through this that it comes through knowing your word. And so, Father, may we behold the very wonders of your word. May we see a a glimpse of your Son. And in, in so loving him, Father, we will then love you. And so, dear God, would you move me aside, please. Let us see the very essence of what is of great importance that Paul told those dear believers in Ephesus so that they could hold fast to their church, that they would uh, be on guard for themselves and for the people that uh, you put them in charge of. Would you watch over us in the same fashion? Care for us, Father, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Verse 32. Let's take a good look at it, a real good look at it. Paul says this, I commend you to God. That's a great, great statement. I commend you to God. And to what? And to what? What does it say there after that? I commend you to God and to what? The word of His grace. Tantamount to their lives was the Word of God. It was of utmost importance. You see, we have been studying, we know what was said in Acts chapter 2. We know that when Peter preached the message and and 5,000, was it, or 3,000 people came to the Lord, he says, what we want here in this body of believers are people who are, it says in Acts chapter 2, continually devoted to, to the things of God. But he doesn't leave us empty-handed in what those things are. Four things, he says. I want you to be continually devoted to the apostles' teaching. In other words, to the Word of God. I want you to be continually devoted to fellowship among one another so that you can encourage one another, build each other up. I also want you to be continually devoted to communion. And I ask your forgiveness. It is no one's fault but mine. We should have communion a little more often. And I noticed not, heads nodding in every service. Some people, in fact, the first service, when I said we'll have communion more often, they, they broke up into applause. And so I, I am in totally wrong in this. And it's not anything I've done uh, to be devious. It's just I get myopic. I start doing what I do, and I see the message I want to give, and I study for that, and I don't see the broad picture. 
And so what I did is I, I turned the staff loose on me. In other words, and you can do the same. You come up to me and say, hey, I'd love to have communion. We'll have it. We'll just plan it for the next week. And so I want to have communion more often. I do not want communion every week because I don't want it to become routine. I, I would love for it to fit into the scriptures, but obviously I've not done well. I've not had communion hardly at all until I'm reminded. So I totally ask your forgiveness on that. But he says, I want people who are continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to, the, to, to communion with each other, and also to prayer. And these are things that are essential for a church. And so when Paul says here, way up in, in, in Acts chapter 20, long after what was said back in the day of Pentecost, when, when Peter preached this message, he says, I want to commend you to God. And to the word of His grace, which, he says, is able. Now, the word of God, God's word, the word of grace is able to do three things. Verse 32 is essential for you and me to catch. The word of God is what builds you and me up. In other words, helps us grow in our faith, helps us mature as individuals. The moment you come to Christ... You are what is called a baby in the Lord. You are a baby Christian. And your life ought to mature. You ought to grow. But it doesn't happen just automatically. It happens through study of the Word of God. The Word of God's grace which is able to build you up, help you mature. And there are a lot of people who are older in the Lord who are just not grown up. They're just not mature believers yet. And you cannot become a mature believer without the word of God's grace. It is able to build you up. And it says, secondly, in verse 32, it it will give you the inheritance. The inheritance is nothing more than the promises of God. In other words, eternal life. There is absolutely nothing more devastating to a believer that is not mature in their faith than to think that they can lose their salvation or feel like they're not on God's team because they've done something wrong. The truth of the matter is we have all done things wrong on a pretty regular basis, I would probably guess. I would ask for hands, but I don't want to embarrass any of you. But the fact of the matter is you and I are all sinners saved by the grace of an almighty God. And our inheritance is, our eternal salvation is secure. You and I need to know that because the evil one would love to get you and me to think because we've sinned, we're out of the race. We're not a part of what's going on. And he would love to, uh, he would love to diminish, diminish the, the church's power by having you on the sidelines thinking you're, I don't even know if I'm a believer, you know, kind of that type of a feeling. Instead of confessing whatever sin it is you've done wrong, asking the Lord to forgive you you and to cleanse you of that sin and get back in the race. We need each and every single one of us. And so we need to be built up. The Word of God will build us up, mature us, and we need to know the inheritance that has been given to us so that we might be, the third thing in verse 32, is sanctified. And the word sanctified, simply put, means to be set apart. 
Once you come to Christ, you have been set apart. It doesn't mean, hear me now, it does not mean that you are better than any other person who is not a believer. It doesn't mean we're better than them. It just means that we are set apart. We have been given a very unique position in this world in which we live. And this place in which we live is not our home. We have been sanctified. We have been set apart to do something far greater on this earth than just live here and build our treasure upon this earth in which we live. And so it is the Word of God, the Word of God's grace that will mature you and me, that will assurance, uh, assure us of our inheritance, eternal life, and will sanctify or set us apart so that we can do the things that God has called you and me to do while we are here on this earth. You see, church, it is this. It is this, the Bible that I am holding up right now. The Word of God's grace that will build you and me up, mature us, that will give us our inheritance, the assurance of our salvation, and will sanctify us or set us apart to be used by God while we're here on this earth. Maybe you can see why the loss of the trust and the belief in the authoritative teaching of the Word of God, which is becoming less and less popular, I am, I am told, will seriously undermine the ability of anyone really to grow in their faith, to become built up, to become understanding of the inheritance that we own because of who Christ is. And to understand that we have been as a people sanctified or set apart. We're not better than those that don't believe. We are just set apart to do whatever it is that God has for us. And perhaps you can see why Satan drives churches away from studying their Bibles. Seeker-friendly churches who all of a sudden they get pastors who have this dream of making this church larger or bigger And so we want to get as many non-believers as we can into these four walls. And so as not to offend a non-believer, let's not bring our Bibles. I'm hearing this over and over again from churches. Say, don't bring your Bibles to the service because we don't want to offend a non-believer. And what they have done is by taking the Bible out of the picture within the body of Christ, they have limited the ability to build the body up. In other words, to mature everybody because it is this that will mature you and me and give us uh, the assurance of our inheritance so that we know what we believe in and, and who we are in Christ and the eternal life that has been given to us Therefore, we have been as a people set apart, not better than, but set apart so as to do the things that God has called us to do, whatever that might be. And so it, 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 it amazes me. It, it boggles my mind. It really does hurt my spirit to hear that there are churches that, is, that, are, that are taking the Bible out of the picture and leaving, leaving the, the teaching of the Word of God upon Uh, the whim, if you would, of someone who just wants to teach a philosophical idea of what what life is like now in the 21st century. 
Listen to what Paul teaches in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. If you would, turn with me, please. Hold your place here in Acts. Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Paul talks about what should take place in a church. What is of utmost importance within a church? And that's what he's telling these people in Ephesus. I want you to protect the church. I want you to, he says, protect this this body of believers that we have begun here in this community. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul says, we proclaim Him. In other words, we proclaim to you Jesus Christ. We proclaim to you God. We admonish, verse 28 of chapter 1 of Colossians, we admonish how many people? Everyone. We teach how many people? Everyone whether that be a seeker, whether they be a non-believer, whether they be a believer, we are to admonish everyone and we are to teach everyone with all wisdom. Wisdom means the Word of God. This is all wisdom right here. Not what's in here. What's in here. This is wisdom. So that, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, so that we might present how many people? Every person, what? Complete in Christ. If you want to know my motive, that's it. My motive for you as a people, for me as a person, is to someday, through God's grace and His Word, to present you and me before God complete, mature, in Christ. That's our motive as a, as a church. That's our desire as a church. The purpose of every church should be by the grace of an almighty God to present the people that come to them complete in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the only way, Paul says, that we can do that, build each other up, understand our inheritance, and be sanctified, the only way is through the Word of God's grace. And so, therefore, if there is no authority concerning this, the Bible, if there can be then no real biblical preaching because we don't want to offend people who come into our four doors, we would simply just be, as a church, the Rock Community Church would just be another religion. We would be left to find truth wherever the teacher, in this case, it would be me, if I was just telling you about some of my ideas of life be to my whim what is right and what is wrong. It would be to that person who doesn't teach the Word of God, it would be their idea of what is truth and what is relevant for today in the message. And we don't take that as, um, we don't take that as a gamble. We believe that this is what is relevant and this and this alone. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is His Word. And we do not need to make His Word relevant for the society in which we live. We need to teach God's truth so as to build the people up, get them to understand the inheritance that they have, the assurance of their salvation, and let them know by the grace of God that they too are sanctified or set apart to do whatever it is that God has them to do. And so to leave it up to the whim of a teacher is is the beginning of every and all cult. 
It begins by diminishing the Word of God. And so, Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, don't do that. Stay close to the Word of God. As he says in verse 32, look at it again. It is the Word of God's grace that is able to build you up. It is the Word of God's grace that will give you the inheritance. It is the Word of God's grace that will sanctify you from all the others. You're not better than them. You're just set apart. That's us as believers. Now, let's go back to kind of the beginning. Let's go back to verses 17 and and work our way forward towards verse 32. Paul now is going to tell them how their church ought to grow, how to make their church, but more important, relevant to you and me today, is how to make the Rock Community Church all that God desires for you and me to become. Paul begins by encouraging the elders or the leadership of the church. And as you'll plainly see, it's not by technique. He's not going to tell them, here's how you do this or that. His method will be a godly attitude of just being faithful. And faithful to what? Look what he says. Look at verse 19. He says, he is faithful. Verse 19 says, he served the Lord with all humility. He said to him, he he served the Lord with them there for three years. and And he never once, he never once varied from anything. In fact, he says in verse, uh, um, let's see, uh, wow. Look at what he says in verse 26. Because he was faithful to the Lord, serving the Lord, he says he didn't, therefore he could testify to every one of those people that he was speaking to there in Ephesus that he is innocent of the blood of, 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 of all men. In other words, he preached the whole counsel of God's word. What they did with what he taught them and what he taught them, that's between them and God. But he was faithful to do that. The second thing that Paul says he was faithful in doing in building the church up was he was faithful to the people that God brought into his way there in Ephesus. Look, he says in verse 18, verse 18, he says they came to him and he said to them, you yourselves know, you know that from the first day that I set foot in Asia... I was with you the whole time. He was faithful. Faithful to the people that God brought His way. That's why I don't... It's beyond me to to think of pastors that that have been called to one of the greatest callings that any person could ever give. And and that God would gift the person that, that He is able to be a pastor of a church, a teacher of a church, a leader kind of in that fashion of a church that he would go from one church to another or, 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 or travel a lot. I, I, I don't understand it. I want to be faithful to you, and I love the fact that you're faithful to me. It is a great and very comfortable and wonderful feeling. The third thing that he is faithful to is what we saw in verse 27. He said, I, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. So as you note, when Paul talks about how to really build the church, it's not techniques. It's a, it's a godly attitude of faithfulness. Faithfulness to the Lord. Faithfulness to the people. Faithfulness to this, the Word of God. Not, not shirking any of the responsibility to teach the whole thing, no matter what it might say. No matter how difficult it might be to hear. He taught it all. 
And so he doesn't, fo- he doesn't focus on a technique. He focuses on a godly attitude of faithfulness that builds up the body of Christ. It is the grace of God's Word that is able to build you and me up. Give us our inheritance. Help us to be set apart, sanctified. And so when Paul called these gentlemen together, the elders of the church at Ephesus in verse 17, these men you need to know were very dear to Paul's heart because he was their spiritual father. He led them to Christ. He was the one that helped founded their church in that community. And as he said, for three years, he reminded them that he had not only nurtured them, but taught them. Look at verse uh, 19. Look what he says in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. He, he was faithful. Look at verse 31. Therefore be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years I didn't cease to admonish each one of you with tears. He founded that church upon his faithfulness through tears and trials that came his way. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4, it gives us an idea of what is the essence of, of being a part of a church, of being a servant within the body of Christ. What I'm going to talk to you now about is not so much the, the quote-unquote leadership of the church because I don't like that so much. I do love the idea that we all have a part. I love the fact, for instance, that, that the woman's uh, luncheon was was cast by a a dream of of a person just here in the church. The Lord just put it upon her heart to have a a woman's tea luncheon. And she even saw the number of people that might come, and she was almost right on target. She missed by about, we had about maybe 25, 30 more people than she envisioned in her mind. And that dream started from a a person within this congregation, no staff person. I, I like that. I like that that the dreams that we have are, are, are dreams that, that we can have before the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And so Paul says, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Every single one of us here in this building right now have been called to one degree or another by the spiritual gift that God has given you. Every single one of us have been called to serve and to please God, not men. In your life, in your business, wherever you work, uh, you might be the the boss, you might be a part of the, the leadership of the place, you just might be someone that works there. Your job is to please God. Whatever you do, your job ultimately is to please God rather than men. If you're a a student and you're in school, you go on your campus where you are, your your purpose in life, young man, is to be a person that pleases God rather than your friends. Now, you should be good with your friends and love them, but your purpose should be to, to be a young man of God. That's for all of us, regardless of our age. In fact, look what it says in 1 Corinthians. Well, you don't need to look. It's pretty short, and, and I'll read it. You can look at it later, or if you can find it real fast, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, he says, do all to the glory of God. 
You're serving God. Listen now, please. You're being a servant unto the Lord in your business or wherever it is you work or wherever it is you play. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You're serving the Lord in that fashion defines your motive and your purpose of life. Let me say that again. You're realizing wherever you are, whatever you do, that you do it all to serve the Lord rather than mankind. That defines your motive and your purpose of life. It ought to set you free to be the person of God that God's called you to be. But you need to know that you won't know how to honor God and how to please Him without knowing this, without being built up in the Word of God so that you know that you become mature in your faith. You need to understand the Bible. That's why we will try with all of our hearts to teach it here. Now, verse 19, Paul gives us an insight of how we are to serve the Lord, how you and I are to be servants unto the Lord. And he says in verse 19 that he served the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Two different attitudes that mark a bondservant of God. Humility, tears, and trials. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, Paul humbly calls himself the least of all the apostles. He says he is not even fit to be called an apostle because, he says, I persecuted the church of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, and verse 8, Paul humbly refers to himself as the very least of all the saints. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul says he is the foremost of all sinners. Humility, I understand. Humility makes sense to me. Because when you understand the Word of God, you realize that no matter what it is that you do, whatever gift it is that you have been given, God has given it to you. And He sharpens it. He just asks you and me to use the gift that He has given us. He asks us to be available to use it. It is our responsibility with the gift that we have to so prepare in our hearts that what we do unto the Lord, we do with as much excellence as that we can bring. doesn't mean we're going to be better than the next person. In fact, we're not even supposed to compare ourselves to the next person. But what we ought to do is to bring whatever it is we bring unto the Lord with with as much excellence as we can. And when we do that, He helps do whatever it is that we do. And so it ought to be simple, in my opinion, to be humble. Because it's not any of us that do whatever it is that we do. It's Him doing it through us. The second part is a little tougher to me. And that's the suffering part. Jesus Christ, I want you to turn, please, to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Hold it there. But listen, please, listen closely. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. I I just want to close on time. You'll look it up later if you'd like to. Peter wrote these. Jesus Christ suffered for us. In so doing... Jesus Christ left us an example to follow in His steps. In other words, His steps of suffering, you and I are to follow. We are to follow. He is our example. 
Paul lists two areas where you and I will suffer. One of them is internally. The other one is externally. In other words, uh, he got, he got uh, problems with the, with the people that came against Christianity and they tried to put him in jail. They tried to beat him. Didn't try. They did it. And so that was external. That was the suffering he experienced externally. But he also suffered internally. Serving the Lord, he says, with tears. Paul grieved over the state of those who were lost, the unbelievers. I want you to look with me at Romans chapter 9. And try, if you could, I cannot. I cannot put my arms around this place in Scripture. But try with me, if you can, to imagine the depth of Paul's internal compassion for unbelievers. He says in verse 2 of Romans chapter 9, I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Great sorrow, unceasing grief in his heart. And then he says in verse 3, what I can't get. I... My deepest fear... Well, let me just say, let me read you verse 3. Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is saying, I wish that for you who do not believe, he says, that I could accursed myself. In other words, damn myself to hell. Separate myself from Christ so that you might know the Lord. I won't do that for you. I do not want to go to hell. Scares me to death. But what I read and what I understand about hell, I don't understand the love that Paul had for people. No wonder, no wonder. I'm sure you can maybe visualize a little bit more why God entrusted so much to Paul. Look at Paul's heart. Look at the compassion that he had, the willingness he wanted to to put his life through suffering-wise for the sake of others. Paul is as faithful as they come. The external pressures, if you go back to Acts chapter 20 and verse 19, were the trials that came upon him through the plots of the Jews. Imagine, the very people he wished that he could save, that he could give his eternal salvation for, were the ones that that were, were making him suffer. And Paul faced hostility, and Paul faced opposition every single place he went. Look at verse 23 of Acts chapter 20. Paul knew that bonds and afflictions awaited him in every city. He says, I know in every city that I'm going to go to, bonds and afflictions await me. And yet he still went, still risked his very most precious self for others. I want to close with this thought. Some people will judge success of a church or a pastor or people by how large or how widespread that ministry becomes. Others will will judge the success 
of a Christian by how smart they are, how many degrees they, uh, they have. Others will, will judge someone's Christianity and their success by how much publicity they receive. I want you to know something. I will ne- I'm not going to ever mention anyone's name. But I had the greatest privilege of privileges in the first third of my ministry. Kay and I have been in ministry over 30 years. First 10 to 12 years, we were ministering to professional athletes and their wives. The, the elite, of, for, for, for many people in our society, of the elite. Just the nicest, really someone, just the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. But because of who they, they, they are and who they, they were as, as really famous athletes, it was, it was easy to get high-powered preachers and teachers to come to a, a, a conference and speak to them. And it would be my favorite thing to do to sit in and as many messages as I could and just take notes. I would take notes constantly, taking notes, because I was new in my faith and I wanted to learn. And, and I watched these guys. I'd watch them like a hawk. And I saw some guys, they were $3 bills that you couldn't spend in Tijuana when you watched what they did and how their lives led. They were as phony as the day was long. And I saw this and I thought, wow, I can see why the Bible says that we should keep our eyes on Jesus and not others. That we should build our life upon Him and not someone else because some of these guys that were just famous were amazingly dishonest. If you and I, and I believe you and I want to do this, if we want to really be all that God wants us to be, the measure of a servant of God are three things that Paul presented to us. Do you focus your life on pleasing God or men, men or women? What do you build your life upon, your business Do you please God in all that you do? Or do you compromise and please others? Within your life, how willing are you to serve our Lord with humility? Allow Him to take all the credit. Allow Him to have all the praise and all the glory. True measure of a servant of God is someone who is willing, if necessary, to suffer with Him, with our Lord, for His truth. That's a true measure of a servant of God. Not that other stuff. How faithful are you to the Lord, to the people He's brought your way, to the Word of God that you hold in your lap? A true servant of God is someone who will please the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. A true servant of God is someone who will Serve the Lord humbly. Don't take credit for it. It's His anyways. A true servant of God is someone, if necessary, to suffer for the truth to be preached and to be taught. I believe if you and I do this, one day when we have an opportunity to stand before God, whether He comes back and just whisks the church away or... You and I die and we go to stand before the Lord. 
I believe if we're faithful to those areas in our life, I believe you're going to hear the greatest sound that you will ever hear in your life. And that is, simply put, well done. Well done, my faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rests. I make no bones about it. I want to try and move you and me on that path. I need you to help me. And somehow, some way, you need me to help you. We need one another. I want us to hear those words. The size of our congregation, the things that we do, it's all up to Him. Who we become, faithful servants of God, who are willing to be humble, to serve Him no matter the cost, if necessary, to suffer for His sake. Those are things that we can choose to do. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I love these people so much. It it hurts. It really does. I just understand the love that you pour into a person's heart for others. This, this is a great church. I love the people here. I love that they, they come prepared to hear your word. And Father, they, they want to hear from you. Pray that you would always move me aside. Please, dear Father, that we might see the, the glory of your word and we would take it very seriously at this church. That the word of your grace, Father, will allow it to build us up, mature us. That your word will show us our inheritance that we have and that through your word, Father, we will sanctify ourselves, set ourselves apart to be used by you. Now, Father, bless us as we go. Thank you for every single person here. I pray your blessings upon each. Let them know, Father God, how much I love them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I do love you.